as we mentioned in our introduction, this is week 12 of the We Believe series we've been looking at, where we have spent some time reviewing the 11 doctrines of the Salvation Army. That even though they are the 11 doctrines of the Salvation Army, they held basic Christian principles and truths that were relevant for us as Christians, no matter what faith or denomination we make claim as our own. And then we've spent the past two weeks looking at what we call articles of faith, which are position statements as a Christian, stances that as a Christian we will take. And so we looked at the first two, which says, I will be responsive to the Holy Spirit's work and obedient to his leading in my life, growing in grace through worship, prayer, service, and the reading of the Bible. And we looked at those things as important things to be able to do, to not only grow in the Christian faith, but be able to be responsive to the Spirit. We need to be obedient in faith, learning to rely on God, praying for his guidance, being open to his direction and reading his word. Then the second one, I will make the values of the kingdom of God and not the values of this world or the world the standard of my life. And we looked in depth at what it meant to be, to live a God life and a good life. And how a good life isn't enough. We need to be able to live a God life as well. And then we're going to look at article number three. It says, I will uphold Christian integrity in every area of my life. Allowing nothing in thought, word, or deed that is unworthy or unclean, untrue or profane, dishonest or immoral. Those are all things that as a Christian, living a Christian life, we avoid. And so we're going to look at how that actually is supposed to look in our daily lives. I will uphold Christian integrity, being a person of Christian integrity. And so, let's be honest here. How many of you have ever lied? <clears throat> Even a white lie, a little small lie, a lie you told to spare someone's feelings. Because you didn't think they could handle the truth, right? Now how many of you have ever lied to keep your 
yourself out of trouble, especially with an authority figure, and as kids, with your parents. Blaming the other spouse, um, sibling, right? Blaming the other sibling, blaming your brother, your sister, to avoid trouble, right? Sometimes we've even lied to get attention, right? We make up a story because we don't feel like our voice is being heard enough. In fact, we teach children a story about it. A little parable, if you will, a moral lesson. In which we tell them of a young shepherd who either because he thought it was a fun prank or because he just wanted the attention had a habit of yelling wolf, right? And the villagers would come to defend the sheep and there would be no wolf. And he did it once. Then he did it again. He did it twice. And on the third day, he yelled, Wolf, there was something different this day. There was a wolf! But by this third time, did the villagers respond? No. No, because they were tired. Of being lied to. Yes, of being lied to. He had lost his credibility, and people no longer took him serious. Sadly enough, Christian church can find itself in that same position. In a recent poll that was done, and as a pastor, this was staggering to me, pastors rank behind politicians as people to be respected. In other words, in a recent poll, some people felt that pastors could be as honest as politicians, almost. <laughs> People of other faith have even said, look at Christianity, it doesn't work. Look at the country. There are huge churches everywhere. But the people in those churches know neither God nor decency. Now how many of us would identify us as Christians? How many of you guys would say you are a Christian? 
would say that they were Christian, right? And in fact, in the US, the vast majority of people would identify as Christians. But when it comes down to what we would like to be perceived as Christians, the ones who are gaining media coverage aren't presenting a good picture of us, are they? offers us some advice on what we are to be like as Christians. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We looked at this chapter in the previous weeks, especially looking at salt and light, right? A city on a hill. And verse 16 kind of sums it all up in Matthew chapter 5 when it says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We need to keep in mind that whatever we are doing, whatever we are saying, how we interact with the world is to bring glory to God. And so that should be the driving force behind our actions. Move over a few verses to Matthew 5, 37. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Simply, if your yes be yes, and your no be no. Be a person of convictions. Because someone who holds to their convictions establishes credibility. That was one of the problems the boy had, right? He would yell wolf, but there wasn't one. And so he would lose his credibility. share Philippians 4. Starting with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends unto all, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. And then verse 8. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians is kind of our model verse for this. Upholding Christian integrity in every area of our life, allowing nothing of thought, word, or deed that is unworthy or unclean, untrue or profane, dishonest or immoral. Whenever I hear this, I think of a particular passage of Scripture. James chapter 3. I remember years ago seeing a meme about it. James chapter 3. we start reading, have ever had a problem with our tongue? Saying things we didn't need to say? Hurting people's feelings because we got carried away? Right? It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on our reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. Verse 7. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wild killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father with the same tongues we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, we can't go on like this. The spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish water the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Now, some people have a hard time listening to that scripture. Because we don't accept the simple fact that, you know what, the tongue does run away with us. We have said things in the heat of the moment that we have not meant to say, whether it be a word, 
the sentence, whether it be directed to the air or to a natural person. Right? We've kind of all done it. There are common pitfalls that our tongue can get us into. Lies, profane speech, vulgar speech, slander, and even inappropriate things, inappropriate comments. And if keeping our tongue controlled wasn't enough We've got to try to control our thoughts, too. Because, let's be honest, some of us can have enough power to control what we say, but we still think it, don't we? And the truth of the matter is, even in our thoughts, if we don't learn to wrangle them, and control them, it won't be that much longer. So we've lost control of the tongue. And if we can't control what we speak, how are we ever going to control what we think? We are all sinners. And sin begins in the same place for each and every one of us. In the head in the brain. First we think about it, then we follow through with it. Sometimes we don't even think long about what we're going to do. Other times we may struggle with it. When we don't think long, we call it an impulse. But muscles, our bodies, even our tongue, which is the muscle, will do nothing without some sort of direction from the brain. Matthew 15, 11. What goes on, what goes into a mouth's, man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. They were struggling with things because it used to be what you put in you could make you unclean. And Jesus was like, no, it's not what you eat. It's not what's going in your mouth. It's what's coming out your mouth. Right. It's what's coming out your mouth. It's what you said. Most of us could probably get through the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus chapter 20. Have no gods except the one true God. Don't make any idols. Don't misuse God's name. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't cheat on your wife or your husband. Don't say or imply something about a person that is not true. And do not covet anything that belongs to someone else. Build idols with your hands. Kill someone with your hands. Steal with your hands. 
guys catch the one? Some of these are physical actions you need your hands to do, right? But it said, do not say or imply something about someone that is untrue. What muscle is used to do that? Your tongue. When you covet, you use your brain, though. Coveting something doesn't require any muscles in action. Coveting belongs to the thought world. We're told to control our hands, our feet, our tongue, and our brain. Thoughts. Matthew 5. 21 through 22. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said unto people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It's one of the commandments, right? Thou shalt not murder. Jesus takes it even further. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the same hatred, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger the fires of hell. What in the world? So in other words, if we get mad at each other, we're going to be judged for it? How many of us have never been mad at somebody else? Never. How many of you have never got mad at somebody else? How many of you guys have ever been mad at somebody else? I was mad at people driving here on the way to Sunday. It's one of my struggles. I'm like, oh, my dear goodness. I feel like I could be a better Christian if I didn't ever have to drive. No. You need to learn that control impulse right there. It's one of my areas i got to work on. But what Jesus was trying to teach us is that it's a process that progresses and starts with our thought, and in this case, angry thoughts. Then it upgrades to words. In fact, Raka is actually, you idiot. So we're angry in our thoughts. Then we're angry with our tongue. And sometimes that anger follows through to other muscles. Which can lead to deed. Which is murder. So what he's trying to teach us is to learn to control even these basic thoughts. To wrestle them and wrangle them to the ground before they progress to a place that has gone too far. Seven through 28 says, You have heard it said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Where does it start? In your brain. Now it's not easy to keep our thoughts clean. However, learning to wrestle them, to control them, It's part of what it means to live a credible life. 
Psalms 15, 1 through 3 says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He who walks is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. Proverbs 11, 3 says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity, their dual-naturedness. Isaiah 33, starting in verse 14, says, Who of us can dwell within the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? He who speaks righteously, or he who walks righteously and speaks what is right, who rejects gain from extortion and keeps his hand from accepting bribes, who stops his ear against the plots of murder and shuts his eyes against the contemplating of evil. This is the man who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. His breath will be supplied, and water will not fail him. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 says, We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, plainly we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Colossians 3.23 offers this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And 1 Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, live your life so that people around you may try to accuse you falsely. But that people know that that is a lie. That those who try to accuse you of wrongdoing you, yourself, are not the one who launches a response or a defense because people around you go, oh, ha, ha. Nah, I know you lie, right? Philippians 4 fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about these things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you looked in James just a little bit down, it says, Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do live well, live wisely, live humbly. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, down on verse 17, begins with a holy life that is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercies and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. I will uphold Christian integrity in every area of my life. 
allowing nothing in thought, word, or deed. Thought, word, and deed. Because we learned that it starts where? In the mind, in the brain. Then it goes where? To your, to your tongue, to your mouth, your word. And then it follows where? To the rest of the body. And when it becomes to the rest of the body, it becomes a deed. That is why Jesus takes a step beyond the Ten Commandments when he says, you know, if you've thought it, you've done it. Now let's be honest, in today's society, we live in a world that lacks impulse control sometimes. Even we ourselves may have found ourselves in positions where we have acted upon something before we have fully thought it through, and then when it is finished, we say, oh, what did I do? We teach our kids an illustration about the dangers of the tongue with a tube of toothpaste in a plate. We give them a few seconds to squeeze it out. Right? How many of you ever, when you're brushing your teeth, squeeze too much toothpaste out because it just comes out so fast, right? Have you ever tried to put it back in there? Does it work? No! So we teach the kids this illustration, we give them this tube of toothpaste, and we have them squeeze it out as much as they can, as fast as they can, to meet the deadline. And let's be, we know they empty pretty fast. We go for a dollop and get like five inches of toothpaste and we're like, I don't have that many teeth. <laughs> right? We don't always end up with too much toothpaste. And we're like, ah. And so we teach them this illustration and they squeeze all this toothpaste out and we have a plate full of toothpaste. <laughs> but we don't stop there with them. We go, okay, now we're gonna give you double the amount of time though to try to put it all back in. It doesn't work. If we can't even get that little bit of excess that came out too much when we were trying to brush our teeth, you think we're gonna be able to get a whole tube of toothpaste back in there? And that's what we're being warned against. The fact that the more we realize and allow ourselves to start slipping, the easier it becomes to not control it. And that in itself is dangerous because once we lose control of our tongues, it can be only a matter of time before we lose control the other muscles of the body and follow through with you. Any of you are angry with your brother. It is just as bad as if you have murdered them. Because first, you call them names. And then, after you become at peace with that, it may follow through to other bodies. Slapping them, hitting them, kicking them. Maybe to murder. That's what Jesus was trying to teach us. He says, if any of you have even looked at someone else lustfully, you've already committed it. 
because you become so at peace with those thoughts in your head that you start to justify yourself. How many of you have ever made excuses for yourself in your head? It wasn't that bad. I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? If you've ever read the Bible, you know the story of the two men praying. One is the awful guy in the scripture, right? Tax collector. They are known for making their living off of extorting money from other people. And the other was supposed to be a religious speaker. And he says, And so they're in the temple praying, and the tax collector is sobbing, I know I'm a horrible person, and I beg for your forgiveness, Lord. And the religious person goes, you know what? Lord, I thank you that I'm not as bad as that guy. We're warned about trying to correct others when we can't see beyond the plank in our own eyes. So in order to be a person who lives with Christian integrity in every area of our life, allowing nothing in thought, word, or deed that is unworthy or unclean, untrue or profane, dishonest or immoral, we need to learn how to control ourselves from the inside out. We need to learn to be devoted, surrendered to Him, to God, to living our lives for him and through him from the inside out. And so we're going to take this time in prayer. And we're going to encourage you that as the music plays, Invite him to dwell within you, to change you from the inside out. That what goes in as garbage comes out. But that it doesn't come out of us as garbage. Because what goes into us later comes out. That's why we need to watch what we expose ourselves to, what we surround ourselves with. Who do we hang out with? What are we watching? What are we listening to? If you're struggling with controlling your thoughts, evaluate what is going on around you. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such godly or good lives that when they accuse you of wrongdoing, they don't find anything. But instead what they see are your good deeds that glorify God. And so we're going to listen to a song, and as it plays, we invite you to take this time in prayer. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds starts 
inside. In our hearts, which goes to our brain, which goes to our tongue,
Father, we just come before you right now. And it is the cry of our heart to love you from the inside out. That through this love, we can be changed. That we are able to uphold Christian integrity in every area of our lives, Lord, through thought, word, and deed. You have given us your grace and your mercy. Help us, Lord, to live a life that is pleasing to you, to wrestle and control, Lord. Our very thoughts, our tongues, our deeds, that all of it brings glory unto you, that all of it shows that we are a credible Christian, that we are living a life pleasing unto you, that we are living the life you have called us to live walking in your ways and showing you your love, your heart to the world around us. We ask that you give us strength to do this. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.